Step through the twilight lands with me. Through the darkening sunlight, come with me. If you let your eyes adjust, you'll follow the light of the old ones. They've come to dance by the straight tracks. It isn't far to go. You're walking along with me now. I'm guiding the way. This is my land. My domain. The Bear's Grove, they call this place. Sacred it is to life and light. See the tower at the standard of the Golden Bear? Come past the forge and well. Past the mine and spire. Come now into the hall they built of old. The old stories crowd around in the firelight waiting to be told. Be welcome round this hearth and hold. Indeed, be welcome to this place. My name is Sam Chupp. I am your guide here in the Bears Grove. Tonight we have several sections for you, the first of which is our kids and role-playing section, where we're going to talk about a topic that's very close to my heart, the ways you can encourage more girls to play in role-playing games. Then, in the Storyteller's Circle, we'll have the first of a three-part series on such topics as foreshadowing, story arcs, plot events, and antagonist motivations. Then, in the Romance and Role-Playing section, we'll talk about how to foster a romantic environment in your role-playing game. But first, we have my weekly rant, The Bear's Growl. This week in The Bear's Growl, I'd like to just talk briefly about the fact that I am desperately in love with Serenity. Serenity the movie came out this Friday, and I've seen it twice since uh, Friday. I, it's Sunday now. So, I can just tell you that I, since I never really see movies twice anymore, it's pretty amazing that I uh, w would see any movie twice, but I just wanted to give my uh, favorite new movie uh, its props. The story is amazing, the, the pacing is incredible, the plot and the characters are amazing and wonderful. I can't recommend serenity enough to you and I hope that you will go right out and see it see it once, see it twice see it with your whole family see it with everyone who's old enough um, what can be said, it's a great wonderful movie next up we have The Kid's Corner That lucky girl, that magic girl, the most beautiful girl they've ever seen. The first thing I wanted to say is that pretty much in this day and age, boys and girls are fairly equal in the uh, 
kinds of activities they're encouraged to do. There are still a few areas that need to be fixed, but it, in the United States at least, um, there is very little social barrier to girls getting involved with role-playing um, that isn't specifically created by the individual family the girl's from. So uh, that's, you know, the first thing to say. It's a lot different than the way it used to be when I was a kid. Um, so having said that, uh, now we have to say why it's important that girls specifically be encouraged to role-play. And I think the main reason uh, I want the girls that are in my life to role-play is I'd like for them to give them a chance to step outside of themselves and to think creatively, um, to give them an opportunity to try out different personas and decide what part of those characters they want to keep in themselves. I want them to have the ability to think their way out of situations and uh, to not be afraid. The truth is there's not much difference as long as you're striving to have a well-rounded game uh, as to whether you have boys or girls playing. Uh, the important thing is to make sure that the game is a safe space for girls and also being fair to girls. And remember you have to challenge your own assumptions about girls in gaming. There are some girls who like kick-butt combat games just as much as any boy. Uh, just like there are some boys who prefer a more social or mystical character than a warrior. Just strive to have as much equality in the game as you can and address the game to the person individually rather than to the person's gender. You can do this for both boys and girls and really everyone should tailor their game to fit their players interests now with children it can be a bit difficult if they've never thought about this sort of thing to get them to understand like what they're interested in playing so what I do is I start out by talking to the player about what books video games comics movies television or whatever that she likes. Somewhere in all of the media, there's a glimmer of an idea of a character that they enjoy and would like to emulate, and you can use that idea as a means of building a character for that player. For example, uh, the show is off the air, but if, let's just say, a girl tells you that they really like Xena, the warrior princess, and they'd love to have a character like Xena or uh, like somebody else on that series, you can really go with that. I mean, especially in a game like Dungeons & Dragons where there are barbarian characters, there are warriors, you can uh, say, well, what do you like about Xena? Do you like the fact that she's powerful and strong and is able to defend herself? Or do you like the fact that she's a very good friend to her friends? Do you like the fact that she was bad for a while and now she's good? You know, what, what intrigues you about her? And the more you learn, the more questions you ask, the better chance you'll have to get down to the 
kernel of what makes that character interesting for that person. And at that point, it's not hard at all to tailor-make a character with that person so that the character matches exactly what they really love. As a last resort, if you have someone who really just doesn't have any characters that inspire them or can't really remember anything, you can always do what I call a Mary Sue character, essentially. You, you take that person, that child, and you try and fit them into a fantasy or science fiction character, whichever game you're playing, and try to make them in the game. So you ask them, well, what kind of things do you like to do? Um, and, you know, see if you can get them to talk a little bit about what they enjoy the most, and you can make a character around that. Another thing to keep in mind is what type of gamer the player is. Sometimes you're not going to be privy to that kind of information. It's something that you learn over the course of time, but you may have an idea. And if so, it's especially important that you add that to the character. My own daughter, whom I'll call Firefay, was at one time a mostly tourist role player. That is to say, she wanted to be along for the ride, but wasn't as interested in being super important to the story or having to make a lot of hard decisions. She was there more of a, a social player. So I gave her a character who was a tiny dragon who could fly and could get in and out of situations easily. Uh, she was a random enough character so that she could fly off if her player got bored, and it wouldn't matter that much. And she could also say that she was riding on someone's shoulder, which may, would mean she didn't have to say what her character was doing. She could just say, well, I'm riding on X character's shoulder. Finally, it's important to make sure and include the girl's character in the story. Um, there can sometimes be a holdover from the old girl's culture that says girls have to be quiet and not draw any attention to themselves. So it's up to you to address the girl specifically and check in with her from time to time to make sure she's getting the most out of the experience. Um, again, the same thing can be said of a boy who's reticent to speak. In the end, the gender roles aren't as important as you're treating everyone in the game equally and fairly. It's just good gaming to include everyone in the story. It's important to include girls in gaming for far too long Role-playing games were too much of a boys-only club, and the only way to change that permanently, to be more inclusive, is to simply actively recruit more female players. A girl who has good gaming experiences as a child will more likely grow up to be a cool woman role-player. Next up, we have the Storyteller's Circle. But first, this... The invasion fleet stood on full alert. Admiral Thurlock paced the bridge of his flagship, eye stalks trembling with fury. The door dilated, and Chief Knowledgeist Grimble entered nervously. "'Is it true?' the Admiral growled. "'Have the Earthlings destroyed themselves before we could get to them?' "'Ah, uh, no, sir,' said Chief Grimble. 
All radio emissions from the Earth did go silent, but it's not because they destroyed themselves. Quite the opposite. He held up a small rectangle of white plastic. They've been hurling these into space in place of radio waves. It's called an iPod shuffle. Great gods, said the Admiral. Could they have advanced so quickly? They have, sir. We've been analyzing the contents. We've learned that Earth's media dictatorship has fallen, replaced by a free republic of so-called podcasts. Everyone has total free expression, and all their music can be played without a license. They all gather in an alley to elect their leaders. Currently the benevolent Queen Dawn and King Drew in the capital city of Coverville. But how? the Admiral demanded. Where did they get such ideas? Well, sir, you're not going to like this part. Although they're free, they all bow to a supreme overlord, Adam Curry. Curry has conquered another planet? the Admiral roared. Damn that galactic rock and roll geek. This is the bitterest pill indeed. Ah, uh, yes, sir. Uh, what shall we do, sir? Do? Well, we can't fight them. We'll have to create a podcast of our own and corrupt their regime from within. Get me a computer, a microphone, the cheapest mixer you can find. We will show them that we, too, have audacity. Ah, uh, yes, sir, said Grimble, backing away slowly. This wasn't going to go well. He wondered if there was time to jump ship. The Weiner Rebellion was still going on in the asteroid belt. Surely they had need for an evil genius. And prepare the Votatron! Escape Pod, the science fiction podcast magazine. Find us at escape.extraneous.org. That's right, no storytelling podcast could be complete without mentioning Escape Pod. It's my favorite science fiction podcast magazine out there. Well, okay, so it's the only science fiction podcast magazine, but it's really awesome. They pay for their stories, and they are headed towards a non-profit status, and they're just awesome. So give them a listen. I naively drank the poison I believed the lies I was left broken hearted I became paralyzed I could talk about all the sad things I could sit around and feel real sorry for myself I choose not to be a victim Instead consider me a survivor This could be my finest hour in this part of the podcast, I typically talk about the storytelling arts uh, as applied to running role-playing games. One of the problems I've found in my own games and in some other people's games that I've been in has been the f concept I call the player-character bubble. There is a tendency to focus on player characters and have reality sort of follow those players around so that if the PCs go into a certain area things are happening in that area and when they leave that area everything stops. This is a throwback to the old dungeon crawl games of the past where nobody really quite 
spent a lot of time wondering what the motivation was of various gnolls and trolls and orcs who happened to hang out in this dungeon area. Um, we never saw what they ate for dinner or where they went to the bathroom or how they raised their children or why they were even still there if they had heroes running through the place and killing things um, and why they never organized a, a defense of their own home and you know why each and every one of them seemed to have some sort of small amount of treasure uh, but none of them ever actually used it against the players. I mean, things like that that didn't really make any sense um, can be applied to even uh, more modern games. The concept really is, is that it's very easy to continue to focus just on the player characters and not develop what's happening in the world, in the background, on different levels. And so I want to encourage you as a storyteller to think about the world outside the PC bubble and to think about what the antagonist characters in your stories are doing in the meantime as they have their own agendas and pursue them outside of the action that's taking place in the main part of the game. Now, yes, it does require a certain amount of extra work on your part as a storyteller to think in terms of, well, what can these people be doing? One of the things that I like to do is sit down and do some free writing, that is to say, some non-edited, straight writing that is that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about and just get out in my head all of the ideas that I have about what might be going on outside of the um, bubble the PCs are in. For example, I'll think about the factions that they're involved with and the factions that are against them. I'll think about the individual characters. What are these characters doing? What are their characters' motivation? I believe that other people have spoken, and I agree with this completely, that villains, I mean, the antagonists, uh, are people. They're the heroes of their own stories. They are individuals who have hopes and dreams and motivations of their own. They're not just bad guys. And it's important for you as a storyteller to think in terms of, well, this is what's going on with these characters. Have them make plans. Have them find out things. Have them gather information. Have them put contingency plans into effect. And in general, make it interesting for them. Think of them as a player, because if you're not being fair to your, uh, to your antagonist characters, you're not being fair to the game. At the same time, while we're talking about fairness, it's important that if a group of player characters are being targeted outside of their bubble, that they have a chance to detect this activity. 
let's say you have a wizard character who's doing who's casting spells so that they can watch what the players are doing there should be a chance for the players to determine that this is happening you can telegraph it without actually giving the whole plot away this lets the players feel as though that the game is fair even if life isn't fair the story needs to have that kind of internal fairness sometimes in order for the players to accept it I want to also talk about foreshadowing from a thematic point of view foreshadowing can truly help explain can sort of get players into a certain mood and they realize that you know something big is happening so what you really need to do is think in terms of what can I do to foreshadow what these antagonists are planning and give the players a sort of sense of something is amiss, something is going on without actually giving them the whole story and uh, it's a bit difficult to do but just like any spice you need to use it sparingly a little goes a long way for example everyone has seen uh, movies or read books where storm in imagery tends to prepare the, the, the reader for violence, for war and that's a common foreshadowing element but it's not required that you go that direction you could even have a situation where a perfectly peaceful day seems ominous you could say something along the lines of when you wake up in the morning it is as if there is no life on this plane everything you see around you for miles is empty there is no movement only the cold wind blows across the blasted plane that can just as easily foreshadow a kind of death coming on the wind without being as dramatic as saying it's a storm coming and not just atmospheric effects you can also look into various uh, events taking place animals crossing their paths people um, a beggar telling saying something under his breath these don't have to necessarily uh, be directly involved with the story but as a storyteller you're foreshadowing what might happen in the future and it's important to build that kind of mood so next week we'll talk about story arcs beginnings middles and ends next up we have our romance and role-playing segment
she looks just after she wakes up But she smiles at me that way Just now see something I've never seen in her eyes As she wakes and pulls me closer And she rests In this part of the podcast, I like to talk about romance and role-playing. The reason I like to talk about romance in gaming so much is that it is a very rare thing. Not everybody understands how to properly do it, and I feel like it's something that can really help a game take on more of a sense of realism, um, a depth, drama... It's just something that will help, I think, round out a role-playing experience. How do you create a game setup that is conducive to this sort of thing? Obviously, the genre and the story and the the basic uh, background of the game that you're playing is important. You know, if you're playing a military SF game the chances of you adding a lot of romance to that game, while it's entirely possible, given series like Honor Harrington, uh, to have some romance in there, it's not as likely that there's going to be a lot of romance in a military science fiction game. However, in a game like Vampire the Masquerade, where there's a lot of sublimated sexual imagery and... There's a lot of, uh, well, people are pretty, and there's intrigue, and there's power games going on. Sure, you're going to have more of an opportunity for romance. Just about any fantasy game can have a decent romance quality to it. Next, I want you to pay attention to the gaming group that you're a part of. Are they mature enough to be involved in a game where there is romance going on? That's a question you're going to have to ask yourself, and you're going to have to really be honest with the answer, because there's nothing like having someone make fun of you while you're acting out something that is really more of a mature subject. It quite kills the mood, and can really hurt the gaming trust that you develop with a gaming group. So it's really important for you to know that your players can handle it. Are they going to start saying things like, get a room, guys, or stuff like that? I mean, that's the kind of maturity I'm thinking about. Also, there's a certain level of gaming trust that must be built up. And gaming trust is not the same as regular trust. It's a little bit different for that. I'm more personally willing to extend gaming trust to people than I am willing to extend just general trust to them. But gaming trust is basically the idea that, and and some people call this the social contract, the idea that the players are going to be supportive of the story that's taking place and that you're not going to have to 
giggle and nervously work your way around certain topics because you're not sure if they're going to be okay. It's a measure of how comfortable you are with the players involved. A lot of times this has to do with your basic maturity level, but sometimes it has to do with your values, your morals, your ethics, things that you're, you may or may not be okay with players getting involved um, through their characters, getting their characters interested in each other, and role-playing out those romantic a- aspects of the game. If you are one of these people and you have an objection, you need to say that. You need to be upfront with it, and I think you should be respected. But at the same time, if you don't say anything about it and you get offended later, then you have really little to stand on, in my opinion. The next thing I want to talk about is, as a host for the game, you can create a romantic mood, a game in which there is a possibility for romance by creating a more romantic atmosphere. You encourage people to dress up for the game. Encourage people to come into a space where there's candlelight. There's maybe atmospheric music playing. There's incense burning. These kind of atmospheric environmental aspects help the mood along and really make the entire romantic aspect of the game more believable. Next week we're going to talk about how you can tailor make a special kind of role playing game for someone that you are romantically involved with so that you can interact on a different level. The music for this podcast was for the introduction, the Forest in the Morning song by Fumitaki Anzai. The song Lucky Girl by the Square Root of Eleven started out our Kids in Roleplaying segment. Starting out our Storyteller Circle segment was the song Awakening by Ann Davis. Our Romance in Roleplaying segment was started by She Rests Her Head by Jessica King, who is... In fact, an Atlanta artist, I give a shout out to you, Jessica. And finally, towards the end of our podcast, the song Tiger Lily by Fake Tan. All of these are directly from the Podsafe Music Network, which I encourage you to go to the show notes and take a look at the links involved. Some really wonderful music is available through the Podsafe Music Network. The Bears Grove is released under a Creative Commons license. Attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use. Thank you very much for spending your time with us this evening. Once again, we appreciate all our iTunes listeners and all of the people that have put a, their our promo in their podcast, of all games considered especially. We're thankful for that. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. Until then, sweet dreams when you get them.